right, everybody, good day. This is Paris B., a.k.a. The Red, The Red with the Cause. The Cause is you. I want to thank those who called in last week, people who were very responsive, very warm to what we talked about about a talk. And I want to tell you something. Now I'm looking for that contras, that pamphlet by the um, by the Briskarov, and now I have to find it. I guess it, you know, it's probably the yet to her just knowing that it's so important and so precious and so helpful and valuable that uh, now I'm looking for the one that I had. And I want hold of that and other copies so people can benefit from it. I want to thank those who called in and asked for it. It's a contras on Batuchin by the Briskarov. Very, very short to the point. has a beautiful tefillah at the end also and at the beginning. The main thing is to remember, Einod Movado, Shum Koyach, Boilem Klau. All right, our number here at the studio. We are live today, 718-683-5858. Something that's on your mind, on your heart, you want to talk about, please call me and let me know so we can share our thoughts to grow together, to grow for greatness. And, uh, of course, on my listen coaching line, 848-221-4605, right, and you can leave a message for me, and I will get back to you, or you can reach me after uh, 5 o'clock today. Anytime, leave a message, or I'm uh, available to be happy to talk to you, but always happy to hear you. I think we're, yes, we are always happy to hear your comments, your thoughts, and things that we can uh, use together to grow, to steig. We're only here a very, very short time, so we want to make the most the most use of the time that Hashem has given us. Now, how do you know, you know, like that old song, you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them? Um, you have to know when to keep your, keep your hand or, or, or pack out. Well, here's a very good example. When... Torah values are involved, we have to remain steadfast. If you look in the partial, which I'm sure you are, right? Vayikra Moshe, Moshe ben Nun, Yehoshua. And Moshe called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Yehoshua. So my dear friend, friend Rabbi Zavikliskin says, Rashi states that Moshe called him Yehoshua because Moshe davened that a Kaddish Baruch who should save him from the plans of the other spies. Targum Yonason comments on this Pusik that Moshe called him Yoshua when he saw his humility. Rabbi Avram Mordechai of Gur explained that the nature of a person with humility is not to be stubborn about his own opinions and their own wishes. <clears throat> He's compliant and will easily give in to the opinions and wishes of others, not because he or she is wishy-washy. The other spies were all very distinguished and important men. Moshe feared that Yeshua might concede to their opinions and be swayed by them, even though he felt differently. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu especially davened for Yeshua not to be negatively influenced by, by the others. So when a question of Torah ideals is involved, a person must not budge. Now that's interesting because we always talk about being flexible, right? But when a Torah ideal is involved, you don't budge. That is when it isn't appropriate. That is when it is appropriate to resist. That is an appropriate, correct time to resist. When dealing with 
basic principles. Remain steadfast. Don't allow others to sway you. A person definitely needs chokhmah to know the difference between situations when it is proper to give in to others and when it is not. And for this, we need a Kaddish Baruch assistance. That's a Pelotik Kazan. You need Siyat and Shemaya for everything. And we also know the difference between situations when you should give in and when you shouldn't give in. And this is something actually many parents grapple with, uh, let's say with kids that are having some difficulties. When do you give in, when do you not give in? Should you give the car or should you not give the car? Allah said to a lot of us, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you had to decide should you give in and not give in? And with Siata Dishmaya, you saw that whether you gave in or you didn't give in, that it was the right decision or maybe it was the wrong decision. Sometimes making a wrong decision will help you make the right decision the next time. But have you ever been in a situation, particularly one where there was a question of Torah ideals, in any any situation, an everyday situation, what did you do? What chachma did you implement so that you distinguish between giving in and not giving in? situation have you been in where you had to make a decision whether to give in or not to give in? Call me at this number, 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And you, of course, can reach me on my coaching line. And by the way, we are um, looking to do uh, more more speaking in the um, in, in our, our area. So if you need somebody who would deliver a uh, motivational, inspirational speech for you. There are wonderful, wonderful people that you can call, and you should definitely call call them. And I would like to be included among those. So uh, I would have the opportunity of sharing values that are, are based on uh, Torah, meaning, meaning, value, and purpose, and share the stuff that we talk about here on the air. And you can reach me at 848-221-4605. Don't forget to call in and support JRoot station that does listen, listen to you, they're on the air to help promote the good and well-being of Am Yisrael. It's so clear by what they do. So help them, support them, surprise them, call them to make a pledge, send them a check today. Now, when the time came that Ramosha Feinstein alone had the stature to decide controversies in the Torah world, he took the initiative in calling the parties that were involved in the din and judgment. In one such instance, a party complained that it was not Reb Moshe's business. Can you imagine that? We look at him now as the, the Pusik Ador, the Gadol Ador at that time, and as did the majority, the vast majority of Torah Jewry around the world then. But can you imagine that there were some chutzpahniks that would actually complain that it was none of his business, to which he replied, matter-of-factly, without any anger. Listen to what he said. This is a quote. I am the father of all yeshivas. Could you imagine him? Did you ever see him? I had the, the privilege of davening in, in his minion more than once and of actually going to to visit him with a with a Rosh Yeshiva that I'm very, still very close to today who uh, brought us in to see Ramosha and get a bracha from him. But if you ever looked at him, one look, and your heart melted. He was the most modest of men, but you could see the greatness, the aura of Torah, gleaming from his face, bleed Guzman. And 
he was the last to impose his will on others. It was actually unpleasant for him, as opposed to some people who thrive on it. And I want to tell you something. It's a problem with some people. A, a friend of mine who was a, uh, a wonderful uh, and exemplary person who com- combined his, uh, his business, which is secondary to him, with his passion for teaching and uh, being Harbatsis of Torah. He runs an organization called TBMC, the Torah Biyadu Mishnayas Club. And he was telling me of an instance where there was somebody who went to uh, a particularly wealthy individual, and the person was not very nice to him at all. And that's putting it mild, putting very, very mildly. And he he was told certain things about the person which were hurtful and demonstrated a short-temperedness and an actual kind of arrogance. And when the fellow met him later at another time, um, he apologized. That is, the Gvir apologized to this fellow and said that he knew it was a problem that that he had, uh, and he was actually getting some treatment, understanding that it was causing him problems in relationships. But there are people who like to foist their opinion on others. So that was the direct opposite of Ramosha, but yet when the time came, this most modest of men was the last to impose his will on others, as opposed to those who actually enjoy imposing the will on others. It's pleasant, enjoyable for them. For him, it was the opposite, unpleasant. But when he realized the burden had fallen upon him, he felt he had no right to refuse it. And Rabbi Nelson Sherman brings that down in the Jewish Observer in uh, October 1986, page 19. Take a look at it. All right. I did not hear from you. Yeah. All right. I understand you must be busy very today. No problem. Just remember, we're here for you. Okay. 718-683-5858. Have you been in a position where you've tried to influence people? Well, most of us are in that position on a pretty regular basis, right? Influencing our spouse to want to do something, influencing a boss, a boss influencing an employee, a friend wanting to do something with a friend, parents to children, children to parents. Um, I know there's a family show, so I've got to be careful if we're going to give them a strategy to influence others. But you know what? If you use it in an early, honest, and healthy way, it's good for everybody. Because if somebody sees you try to influence them as biased, then have somebody else speak to the person. And Koylev stilled the people towards Moshe and said, we should certainly go up and possess the land, for we are well able to take it. Koylev spoke to the people on behalf of Moshe Rabbeinu and said that they would be successful when they tried to conquer Eretz Yisrael. Why didn't Yeshua speak up? Now, he was also one of the Moraglim. And he and Kol have agreed about the positive qualities of Eretz Israel and about how they would certainly be able to conquer the land. Why did only Koilev speak to the people now and not Yeshua? What do you think about that? Seven one eight six eight five.
718-683-5858. Why do you think Kolev spoke to the people now and not Yeshua? Are you thinking about that? All right, time's up. Uri HaKodesh, Sacred Tzach explained that Yeshua preferred that Kolev speak to the people because he felt that if he spoke up, the people would respond, You all want to enter the land because of your desire for power. You're only concerned about your own welfare. You want leadership for yourself. But it is not in our best interest to go into the land. That's Port Town, without the accent, in Bure, Hamukubolim, Benigla. Now, when you try to influence somebody else to do something, it's very important that they view that what you say is being for their welfare. And not merely because you're trying to put something over on them that they view it that way, but you really mean it. There was a politician who once said, be sincere whether you mean it or not. Actually, you should be sincere and mean it. If someone you're trying to influence feels that you're motivated by self-interest, he will not heed you. Even if you are truly concerned with the other person's welfare, be aware of the possibility that since you might gain from the other person's listening to you, he or she will not trust you, and trust is so important, knowing that you are going to do only that which is good for the person you're talking to, not like some... Uh, sleazy kind of salesman that's only looking out for what's good for them. I had a situation like this. By the way, do you know anything about public adjusters? Because we had a situation where we were speaking to somebody who said that they could actually get reimbursement for damage to parts of a house, like through water damage, something, something like that, that insurance companies couldn't. And he made it sound... Like, uh, yeah, he would come and take a look, see what needed to be done, and then based on that, he, they would be able to put together a package that would actually get the insurance company to pay for it based on, on their intervention. Of course, what he didn't tell us was that it was going to be a very long, um, at least two-hour presentation, and that he was going to go through the whole, have a whole psychological pitch. And my wife and I just said, listen, this is great, but we just want to get to the bottom line. He said, well, if you're going to be difficult about it, I'm not going to be able to do this. So I said, why do you have to go through every single thing? He says, I want you to understand the process. Okay, we know what the process is, and even if we don't know what the process is, we're really just interested in what happens after the process. But he took umbrage at it and packed out because, I had the distinct feeling, even though he said to the contrary, that his only interest, in it, even though he said he wasn't selling us anything, was in accomplishing what he wanted for his and his company's purpose to a much greater degree than they were interested in what would be to our benefit, even though they kept saying it was to our benefit. But if that were true, I wondered why the guy just picked up and and left in a huff because we said we didn't want to sit through a two-hour presentation. <clears throat> At any rate, um, what we're talking about here 
is that if you you feel or the other person feels that you know, they're really not going to give you a good hearing because they don't trust you, then either you build up that trust in a genuine way or it's preferable to ask somebody else who is wholly unbiased to speak to the person instead of you. There's another important lesson to be learned from Kolob speaking to the people. Rashi explains that the first few words of what Kolob said gave people the impression that he was going to speak against Moshe, right? Since after hearing the negative report of the spies, they were feeling resentment towards Moshe, they eagerly listened to someone who they thought would also be speaking negatively against Moshe. They gave Kolob the opportunity to praise Moshe for all the wonderful things he did for them. Now, this strategy needs to be used in many instances. Very often, when a listener is not open to the speaker, open, the speaker immediately starts out with a statement that is a direct attack on the listener's point of view. What does that do? It just creates more hostility, and the listener doesn't pay any attention to what the person who's, who's talking about it has to say. You know, we want people to pay attention. Learn to start by speaking to people in a way that seems to agree with them. Now, we're not talking about some rhetorical trick here. You're just talking about gaining common ground. Note that Kolob didn't say anything that was not true. He just said, is this the only thing that Moshe did to us? Although they thought he was going to say something derogatory, he said positive things about Moshe. And then, when they're open to what you have to say, you can tell them how you disagree with them. You know, I'm just thinking about something. It's really a shkaka practice. The line from Julius Caesar, you know, it's, it's not, obviously not clear, but remember how Marcus Anthony got the attention of the crowd? Friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ear. Right? And he talked about, you know, putting Caesar to rest rather than praising. But really, it was just a way to draw them in. I mention that because, as we all know, or probably know by this time, the terrible uh, event that took place in Central Park in the, under the guise of Shakespearean theater, which has difficulties in its own right, but they further corrupted it and horrified it by doing something which was a direct assault, really, and uh, an attack, and dangerous, dangerous thing to do on the President of the United States of America, no matter what your political feeling is, to actually portray a sitting President in a situation where he's assassinated, that's horrifying. I only mentioned that on Gavurcha, even though it's far from parenthetical, but in terms of what we're talking about here, it is because when you have something to say and you know people might not necessarily be inclined to it you have to do something that they're going to agree to and I'm thinking about this now I have to give a, a presentation before a group of people that are not necessarily observant Jews and present some authentic Jewish values to them so I have to think of a great way to introduce it that will put everybody in agreement and as I'm looking at this, I understand the import of that. You can't start by attacking people. Otherwise, you know, if you say, listen, you're all a bunch of people that have nothing to do with authentic Judaism. You're, you're on the wrong path. Now let me tell you what the right thing to do is. That's not going to work. 
You've got to be aware of your goal. That doesn't mean flattery, Dr. Shalom. It means being pleasant, nice, empathetic, sympathetic, and say, we're, we're all Jews. Every single one of us has a Jewish heart beating within us. Every one of us knows that there's something special and remarkable about each of us. We share that common ground. Along those lines, you know, you have to build people's sense of self-worth and dignity and octus. These aren't tricks or, uh, or what do you call it, or uh, what's the word I'm looking, looking for, um, devices, contrived devices to try and poke people under your wing. But they are bona fide and very effective ways as, as the Ramkal talks about in his Belitza on, um, on speech, one of the things he says is that you have to have the welfare of your audience in mind when you speak. Ramosha Leibosasev was once walking and saw something awful. A non-Jewish nobleman was sitting in a carriage with his wife and his child and an entire Jewish family was harnessed to the carriage like horses, Mahandu, I was forced to pull it. This is really something, if you didn't hear this, you're going to find it hard to believe. To increase their speed, the nobleman kept lashing them. Ramosha Leib, who was very distinguished-looking, stopped the carriage and held the nobleman's young boy. He expressed great praise for the beauty of the child and even kissed him. And after giving the child a blessing, Ramosha Leib told the nobleman, that the cries of the family were harmful to the child's emotional well-being. Ramosha Leib advised the nobleman to free the family for his son's sake. Upon hearing this, the nobleman allowed the Jewish family to go free. And this is in a safer called Eser Sitzachus, um, page 52. I never heard of it, but now we all heard of it. So here's Ramosha Leibosasa, seeing a Jewish family in a terrible situation, and he, using the chachma that he had from the Torah, was able to free them by identifying that which was important to the nobleman and showing him why it was in his own best interest to release the family for the sake of the child. It says in the Pasuk, don't, or rather, Rabbi Pliskin goes on this Pasuk, where it says, and the people who went up with him and said, we cannot go up to the people because they are stronger than us. Right? That's what the Raglam said. So Rabbi Pliskin says, don't allow guilt feelings to prevent you from doing good. The Chofetz Chaim used to say that the Yetzirah tries in every possible way to prevent a person from doing good deeds. At times, a person is arrogant, feels that he's already on the highest level, doesn't have to do anymore. At other times, when a person tries to do something good, he starts feeling sad and guilt-ridden. He tells himself that the good thing he wants to do, that's only for people on a much higher level than he. How can I do that? And immediately, he remembers all the bad things he did in his life. Even though he might have already regretted those things and repented, he forgets about this and starts feeling so inferior that he loses his desire to accomplish anything positive, Kassel Never do that. This said the Kofetz was their mistake in being afraid to enter Eretz Israel. They remembered the things they did 
that were wrong in the past and said, no, they're unworthy to enter the land, especially since the people who lived there before were very mighty. They would need a special merit to be victorious, and they felt too lowly for this. But we should never be deterred from doing what is good out of misplaced humility. That's right, humility can be misplaced. Don't allow guilt feelings to prevent you from doing the will of a Kaddish Baruch And you know what this is? Sefer Shmir Salashin, Volume 2, Parshas Shalach, which we're in right now. It's amazing! All right. So what do you think? 848-221-4605. 848-221-4605. That's my private coaching line number. And it is open to you to call me whenever you like to discuss anything you might have heard or that's on your mind or in your heart that I might be able to and if you have a thought today on anything that we talked about, um, like the very first thing where we talked about being steadfast with a particular Torah value where you were in a situation where you didn't know whether you should be steadfast or whether you should give in, and you made a decision to hold, you know, keep, what do they say, man your guns, uh, stick to your guns, or, uh, or give in. Now, let me tell you something else. I want to leave you with this thought. And this is one of my, one of my, uh, they're all my favorites. But among, among my favorites is realizing our own value as a person. It says that we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. The Kutzka Rebbe said that the mistake of the spies was in the words, and so we were in their sight. It should not bother a person how others view him. A person, that's the Otsukhayim. A person who worries about others look at them will have no rest. Regardless of what he or she does, they'll always be anxious about receiving the approval of others. And that kind of person makes their self-esteem dependent on the whims of others. It's a mistake to give others so much control over you. Why give them that control? You're empowering them. Keep your focus on doing what's right and proper. Work on mastering the ability to have a positive self-image, regardless of how others view you. If people give you constructive criticism because of things you are doing wrong... You should appreciate the opportunity to improve, but do not allow your self-image to be dependent on the arbitrary approval or disapproval of others. The Kofetz Kayim and the Kofetz Kayim on Torah commented, um, the Kofetz Kayim on Torah, it says Kofetz Kayim Volume 3. When you view yourself as inferior, you will assume that others also view you in that manner. But the truth could very well be that the other person views you in a much higher manner. As the Yalkut Shimoni states, the Almighty said, Who says that you are not in their eyes as angels? The more inferior you consider yourself, the lower you feel that others consider you. This can be extremely painful and can prevent a person from accomplishing anything in life. Realize your intrinsic value as a being created in the image of a Kaddish Baruchel, and you will feel more comfortable, much more comfortable, around other people and they around you. All right, my friends, I did not hear from you today. But again, my coaching line is open. If you've got a comment or a thought, don't hesitate. If you just want to say hello and let me know how you're doing or what I might be able to help you with, 848-221-4605, 848-221-4605. And don't forget to support j Send them a check today or call and, and see if um, and see what you can do. Mazel tov to my uh, good friend, uh, Rabbi Brownwood in Lakewood, Mazel tov on the, baby, on the birth of a baby girl. We should all hear Basiris Tavis, be the receivers of it and the conveyors of it. Remember, green light straight ahead. Good night, New York. Good morning.
Yerushalayim Mirakadish. Remember, in the words of Hillel, the rest is commentary. Now go and learn.